Our text this morning can be found in Matthew 18, chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. So Matthew 18, verses 10 through 14. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you, that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about the one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Thus far, our reading. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, did you know that on average we all spend one-seventh of our lives looking for things that are lost? That may seem like an exaggeration to you, but if you think about it, you will realize that it is true. Lost keys... Lost books, lost change, a missing sock. We're always looking for something. Our text this morning uses the example of looking for and finding something that is lost. In this case, a sheep. The human race is not just looking for things that are lost. It is lost in sin. But the Lord has gathered his chosen ones to himself. They are found. Sometimes, in weakness, they wander away. But then the Father shows his love by looking for them and finding them again. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 9, the Lord speaks about the little ones, the believers, who are humble and insignificant in the sight of the world, but great in the kingdom of heaven. God the Father values his little ones greatly because they, in their weakness, frailty, and dependence are the ones who turn to him and to his son, Jesus Christ, in faith. And the Father shows how much he values his little ones by speaking strongly against anything that might cause these little ones to sin and to stumble, starting with themselves. The believers must do their best to protect all God's little ones from sin. In our text this morning, the Lord assures us that he cares equally for every member of his church. The parable of the lost sheep teaches us that the Lord is watching over all of his sheep and that he wants them all to be kept safe. He watches over them all, and if they stray because of sin, he is careful to bring them back to the fold. This is the example that we must follow in our relationships with each other. In Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, the Lord speaks about mutual discipline and about believers watching over each other. In Matthew 18, verses 1 through 9, the Lord establishes self-discipline as the basis for any mutual discipline. Before we can discipline others or accept discipline from others, we must first set aside our pride and be able to discipline and criticize ourselves. In our text this morning, the verses 10 through 14, we will see how mutual discipline also requires love. Before instructing us how to deal with a brother 
who sins against you. The Lord shows you the example of how the Father loves each of his sheep. That love forms the basis of any church discipline or discipline between believers. Because we love one another, it is our desire for one another that we do not become the victims of those things that cause us to sin. This morning I may may proclaim the gospel of salvation under this theme. The Lord shows us his example of how he cares for the little ones. First, we must imitate the Lord's love. Secondly, we must imitate the Lord's watchfulness. Let Let me repeat the theme. The Lord shows us his example of how he cares for the little ones. We must imitate the Lord's love. We must imitate the Lord's watchfulness. We must imitate the Lord's love for the little ones. Our text this morning begins by speaking of the angels of the little ones. That is, the angels of the believers. What does it mean when our text speaks about their angels? Is there an angel assigned to look after every person, as is often pictured in the popular concept of the guardian angel? Scripture nowhere indicates that this is the case. Daniel speaks of angels that represent certain nations in chapters 10 and 12 of his prophecies. And the book of Revelation speaks about the angels of the seven churches, which might be no more than a reference to the ministers of those churches. But nowhere do we find a reference to the idea idea of a guardian angel. Although it is clear that God has most certainly charged his angels with the task of guarding and protecting the believers. The only point in our text with regard to the angels is to show that the believers, the little ones, are represented before God by the angels. The Father loves his little ones, and the angels, which are charged with the care of these little ones, have the constant attention of the Father, which means that the Father is constantly aware of what is going on with these little ones. He knows where they are going. He knows where they are. He knows what they are doing. He knows the circumstances that they find themselves in. He has sent his servants, the angels, to keep watch over us and to report back to him. This is a sign of his love, his attentiveness, and his care for the little ones who belong in his kingdom. This love is reflected in various ways in the rest of our text. It is described in particular in the little parable of the lost sheep. In this parable, there's a flock of 100 sheep, which is about average for an Israelite shepherd of the time. One of these sheep is missing. This sheep represents only 1% of the shepherd's flock, and it would not be a very large dent in the shepherd's riches to lose this one sheep. But the shepherd's care for the sheep goes far beyond a detached and clinical mathematical assessment of the sheep's value. The shepherd doesn't see dollar signs in his head when he looks at a particular animal. No, the bond between the shepherd and the sheep, forged by countless nights shared out out in the wild under the stars, with the threat of wild beasts and bandits all around, is a bond of love. The shepherd cannot bear to think of his sheep which he raised from the time it was a lamb and protected it with his own arm and even his own blood, he cannot bear to think of this precious sheep being mauled by a wild animal or stolen because it wandered away. Therefore the shepherd goes and looks for his sheep. 
He leaves the rest in their relative safety and he ventures out to find that sheep. The Lord Jesus gave us the parable to show us that this is the kind of love that the Father has for his little ones. He always knows what we are up to and what things have befallen us. And he's always willing to show us how much he loves us by helping us. He's particularly aroused to help us when we become lost, when sin entangles us in its grip and threatens to draw us away from his love and care. He, like the shepherd of the parable, has invested so much in us. He has saved us, redeemed us, purchased us, protected us, and loved us. He has made us his very own, sacrificing his very own, only begotten son in order to rescue us. And he is not willing, therefore, that we should wander away and be mauled by sin. He cannot bear to think of what is happening to us, which is why he sends his angels to report on us continually to him. The Lord Jesus says in verse 14 of our text, In the same way your Father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should be lost. We read from Ezekiel 34 this morning, because this chapter gives us a further idea of what it means that the Lord cares for us as a shepherd for his sheep. In Ezekiel 34, the Lord is angry with the leaders of the people of Israel because they have not loved the people, but have instead taken advantage of them. So the Lord will himself then be the shepherd of his people and provide for the leaders an example of how they ought to love the people of God. In verse 11, the Lord first described how he will gather his scattered flock. He says, I will rescue them, and I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. The Lord promises to give his people good pasture as a shepherd would for his sheep, and to feed them and search for the lost and bring back the strays. The flock will be perfectly safe under the care of the shepherd because he loves them and treasures each one of the sheep. I will make a covenant with them, says the Lord in verse 25, and I will bless them. You are my sheep, he says in verse 31, and I am your God. What we need to remember, brothers and sisters, as we dwell upon the great love that God has for his people is the context in which we find the parable of the lost sheep. The context is things that cause God's people to sin. Sin is a destructive force among the people of God. It not only causes a person himself to come under the judgment of God and his wrath, but it brings the wrath of God upon the whole congregation. Because we are called together to serve the Lord and to be holy. We are the holy people of God, and we must together be holy in this context, we re are reminded of God's love. It is not in the first place because God is a strict, holy, judging God that, the, that he disciplines us. It is because he is also a loving God, and he does not want to see us come under his judgment. Therefore, out of love, the Father disciplines us. When we are judged by the, by the Lord, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 32, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. That is his goal when he seeks out the lost sheep, to prevent that lost sheep from being hurt or killed. 
This is what we need to keep in mind whenever we consider the matter of church discipline. Church discipline, or discipline between brothers and sisters in the congregation, is not about being nosy into the affairs of other people. It is not about one person trying to impose their way of doing things upon another. It should always be about love. And love should always determine our approach to the sin of another person. There should be concern for that person and a willingness to do whatever it takes to help them see their error. If you come to a person because you are bothered by what they do, and that is what motivates you only, then you'll make that person angry, most likely. We are allowed to be bothered by sin, because sin does not belong to the congregation, and it offends God. But we must be cautious on two accounts. First, we must remember the matter of love, that our first concern is the well-being of the brother or sister. And second, we must remember that sometimes we can be bothered by things that belong in the realm of Christian freedom. Being bothered is not always a good measure for approaching someone to discipline them. When you are bothered, it is often better to approach them to talk about what bothers you so that you can remove a stumbling block. If you go to discipline a person, then you ought to go in love. And from the other side, the person who is being disciplined must receive this instruction and help with the knowledge that it is offered in love. In Matthew 18, verses 1 through 9, the Lord reminds us that pride can be a hindrance to discipline. Remember that when a person instructs you about your life, it is because he or she is concerned for your eternal salvation. And if you disagree with their criticisms... Listen well, for you might learn something you did not know. Even if they do not approach you with love, you should still listen. For the Lord can use the imperfect deeds of men to carry out his purposes. Discipline is a matter of love, by which the Father watches over the sheep that he has gathered to himself through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is called our Good Shepherd. We have come to our second point. We must imitate the Lord's watchfulness over his little ones. Our text speaks of the love that the Father has for his sheep. In other contexts, this love might show itself in protection from enemies or in the outpouring of blessings. In this context, however, where the Lord Jesus is talking about things that cause the little ones to sin, that love shows itself in the Father's patient watchfulness over his sheep. In the parable, one of the sheep wanders away. What does the shepherd do? He goes and finds it and brings it back to the flock. And the Lord Jesus says that the shepherd is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that are still safe in the pasture. The Lord Jesus says elsewhere that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who never sin. And this idea is described vividly for us in the parable of the lost son, where the father dotes on his son who returns to him, and the other older son is jealous. Our text does not mean to say that those who are lost and who return are more valuable than those who do not stray. We should not minimize the fact, for example, that God is deeply disappointed 
when his children fall away. Whereas he is very pleased with those who serve him continually. Nevertheless, it is a reason for very great rejoicing when one of the sheep is returned to the fold. There is much gladness, and the other sheep ought not to be jealous over this happiness, since they too are glad to see that one of their number has been returned safely. The point of the parable is to show not only how deeply the Lord loves his sheep, providing an example for us, but also to show us how carefully he watches over those sheep and to what lengths he will go to rescue them. In the parable, a shepherd will not lightly leave his flock, since predators or thieves might come while he is away. But so carefully does he preserve the lives of all the sheep that he will risk everything in order to save even one. So the father will do everything to save his children, his little ones, when they wander away. And this is an example for us. Brothers and sisters, the Lord commands you to love your neighbor as yourself. We could spend a lot of time on the meaning of this commandment, but this morning we must ask ourselves whether we apply this commandment in the way that Matthew 18 directs us. We are members of the body of Christ, members of the flock that is cared for by the Good Shepherd. Do we have the same concern for one another that the Good Shepherd has for each one of us? Do we show our love for one another by watching out for one another? We must be careful when we ask this question to have a proper idea of what it means to watch out for one another. It does not mean that we look for ways to trip each other up. I think of those enemies of Daniel who spied on him to catch him breaking the law so that they could engineer his downfall. This is not the kind of watching we must do. It is more the watching that fellow soldiers do. Soldiers have to work and operate in a unit, and the successful survival of the unit in combat depends on each person doing their part and looking out for the others in the unit. Each person in the unit feels safer, knowing that his buddies will look out for him. And through this mutual protection and watchfulness, the strength of the entire unit is increased. For if one or two people are killed, the safety of the rest of the unit is reduced. That is how it ought to be among ourselves. We ought to watch out for each other's safety so that we help each other when our fellow believers are exposed to things that cause them to sin. Would you let a drowning man drown if you saw him slipping under the water? Of course not. Neither, would, neither should you let your fellow believer alone when he is struggling with sin. Sin is deadly in its force, and we are much safer from the power when we are all looking out for each other. We may not leave it only to the shepherd to look out for us, for the shepherd uses also our efforts and our watchfulness as weapons, whereby he fends off the enemies that seek to attack us. How can we put all this into practice? We must start with the determination that is mentioned in our text where it says that the Father is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Look around you at the others sitting in the pew. Do you care if they're lost? That's a start. It is a start, but only a start. You must also be determined that as far as it rests in your power as a fellow believer of those around you, none of them will be lost. 
It is your task to do what you can to prevent them from being lost. What should you do then? First of all, you must know the people around you. Not to the extent that you become nosy about everything and everyone, but you have to know what people do, who they are, and if there are things that they struggle with in their lives. We have to be acquainted with one another, else we will never know when a person begins to stray away. And when a person begins to stray, then what? You must take steps to urge them to come back. This must be done carefully, as mentioned earlier, and with a right spirit of love. But all the same, it must be done. If there is sin, confront it. If there are conflicts, deal with them. If there are barriers, do what you can to remove them. If, for example, you see a person in the congregation, a young man or a young woman, who is dating outside the church, dating an unbeliever, let's say, do you take the time to speak with that person to warn them of the dangers of doing this? This is especially important for you to do if you have a relationship with that person as a parent or brother or sister or a close friend. Speak to them from the word of God in a kind and brotherly manner with exhortation and encouragement. Do this even if you are not the parent or relative or a close friend. For we are all brothers and sisters, and we must show care for one another. A young person who is dating an unbeliever is in serious danger of being led astray, as was proved over and over again in the Old Testament. The rest of the body of Christ must feel in their hearts an unwillingness to let them be lost, and to do all that is in their power to prevent it. Or another example. What if there is someone who, is no long, who no longer attends church? Often, it is left to the elders to deal with such cases through visits. But it is also important for the congregation to notice these things and to deal with them in a brotherly or sisterly manner. When members from the congregation keep watch for each other and warn each other, for example, about church attendance, this can have a double effect. First, it shows that the concerns of the elders are not something that the elder is making up. It is not the elders with some kind of grudge against the person who is straying, since the whole congregation shares the same concern. Secondly, when the congregation altogether keeps watch, this removes any conception on the part of the person who is straying that the congregation doesn't care. Sometimes this is used as an excuse to cover up a person's lack of attendance. The congregation doesn't care about me, but the congregation does care. Brothers and sisters do watch out for each other, and through watchfulness, they can draw each other back into the fold. At the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned how we spend much time looking for things that are lost. Lost keys, lost paper, lost books, lost shoes, whatever. How much time do we spend watching out for those in the church who might be in danger of becoming lost? The Father is always watching over us, and the Lord Jesus, the Good Shepherd, is always keeping watch over his sheep too. Even the angels do their part. What about us? We have a duty of love toward each other, to keep watch for each other, so that none may fall away. Let us fulfill this duty in love, and keep watch.
and in humility, accepted when others do their part to keep watch over you. In this way, may we all be encouraged by our brothers and sisters to remain faithful to the Lord in his service until he calls us home. Amen.